0: Welcome to The Francisca Show Podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Welcome back to The Francisca Show, Fran Stands. Today we begin a three-part series that sort of belong together. All three episodes are with men of different Jewish sects. We'll be touching upon their personal stories as well, at some points, relationships sexuality in some episodes and we're addressing this because we have been getting requests to get the male perspective to get men on the show and to cover some of these topics. so so I really hope you enjoy this series and as always thank you so much for contributing with your conversation with your input, with your feedback. thank you for sharing the show with your friends and community helping spread the word. And just a few more things before we start. This podcast is a part of Jewish Coffeehouse network of podcasts. So check them out. The links are in the show notes. Also, the link to join the WhatsApp group is in the show notes. And also how you can support the is by sponsoring an episode. You can also book me for one of my podcasting services. I did release a new song this week just in time for El Ahacha Alti. So that should be on all platforms wherever you stream your music Koisha, this is next we have some shidduch ideas about the show crisis so i will save that for the end feel free to check it out without any further ado let's get started welcome back to the francisca show today with us we have shlomo jesmer a relationship and self-love coach all the way from israel And this is a highly requested episode, so I'm excited to be doing this with you today. Welcome to the show, Shlomo.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So let me give you some background. We have lots of sensitive topics and intimacy topics that we've covered on this podcast. Then we learned, or I learned, that many of our listeners are men, and they would like to hear from a fellow man who can share more about his personal experiences as well as what goes on in other people's marriages, and giving the perspective, validating perhaps or educating what's going on in other from families, what's normal, what's not. We know women love to complain and talk about all their challenges and issues, but men are affected in a lot of these life changes and life cycles.
1: Let's jump into it. So just before we do that, I just wanted to be clear that I'm going to be talking about my opinion, my experience, less about what's happening in everyone else's homes. Just because the experience that I have isn't vast enough to tell you this is the data that everyone else is experiencing in their relationships.
0: We get that. We'll take whatever we can get.
1: <laughs> I just want to be upfront.
0: For sure. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started and the work you do.
1: Okay. I started because I was searching for something that I enjoy doing. Relationships has always been something that I studied a lot about from a religious perspective and also from a professional perspective. In yeshiva? Well, my yeshiva is an interesting story. I went off the deck from age 13 and I came back at age 19 while I was in the army. And then when I left the army, I went into yeshiva. I actually started learning about shalom bias in the army and the Israeli army. That goes 10 years back a little bit more. And it's always been a topic that was been really, really important to me. And then eventually when I was, you know, I was like looking for, OK, how can I use my skills as a person to help other people? Because that's something that I really like doing. I just went into coaching. I think it's like one of those things that many people do when they start their entrepreneurship journey. They're looking for a way to use their personal skills to help people.
0: Give us some more background. That's just a little bit. I know you skipped over it, but I'm not going to let you. Tell us what kind of religious background you grew up in. What happened that you went off Adara? Of Give us some timelines and just some information.
1: My parents, they did Aliyah. When I was one, they moved here from New Mexico and up until age 13, I was just a regular kid. I mean, I can't say regular kid because I've been through five different schools by that age. And I dropped out of school at age 13, eighth grade. And that is when I went off the dark at age 13. I don't blame anyone. I don't blame my parents for it. They really did the best they can. I didn't have the system that I needed to, to hold me in. So I went after what I thought would be more enjoyable, which was doing whatever I felt like. And that's basically what I did from age 13 to 19. I partied, I worked, I worked at bars, I traveled the States, I went to America. I, you know, those guys in the malls and P- that sell you. Oh, um, so I
0: probably met you before. You selling hair <laughs> products or skin products? Right,
1: that's exactly what I sold, hair products. Most of the time it was actually in PXs and BXs in Army and Air Force bases in the States. But there was a part where I was in St. Louis in the mall over there. That was fun, actually, with a lot of interesting stories that took place over there as well. Every two weeks, we would travel to another state. We have some interesting stories from there.
0: That was as an army thing or you and friends?
1: That was me and friends before the army. That was pre-army. I came back to Israel for the army. That's why I left. I had to draft and it was mandatory here. I wasn't in yeshiva. I actually tried to get out of the army. I didn't join the army because I was patriotic and I didn't try to get out of it because I'm not. I just tried to get out of it because I was a teenager who literally didn't want to do anything aside from what I feel like. And going to the army was like the exact opposite of that. I joined the army and that is actually where my life began. That is where I started experiencing responsibility. That is where I started experiencing like someone's on top of you and someone's there's there's expectations and you have to show up for it. A lot happened in the army. I became religious in the army, and yeah. And then when I left the army, I went straight to yeshiva.
0: What experiences made you religious?
1: I don't know how many people know what the difference is between a jobnik and a lochem is, but basically, jobniks um, a jobnik... are
0: useless jobs, or that, a... <laughs> right? No,
1: so they're not useless. No, they're not useless. But they, I mean, they're the machines. They're the people keeping everything running. But they are, they're not combat soldiers. And when I joined the army, because I tried to get out of it, it gave me a profile where I wasn't able to be combat. I'm this 18-year-old teenager who is not religious, who is very ego-driven. And I'm like, I'm not going to be in the army. I'm not going to be combat. This had nothing to do with ideology. It had to literally do with my ego. For the next seven months, I convinced the army that I'm actually capable of being a combat soldier. And then they finally brought me in. And up until then, I came home every single day. Like up until then, I would go to base for a few hours and come back home. But once I started combat training, there was this month in between where they wanted to see what I'm like when I'm on base for a longer period of time, how I function. And this was when I started experiencing boredom. (laughs) <laughs> like this is where I started experiencing I had time to think I had time to think instead of just you know if i if if I was back at home, I would either watch a movie or I would go out to town and hang out with my friends or get drunk or go to a party. This was the first time that I actually had time to think about my life and where I'm going and I remember I actually picked up uh, Safer to Hillem and I just started reading it. No epiphany, no major oh my gosh. I just started reading Tehillim and connecting. And then I started picking up other religious books. The Garden of Immuna" was one of the first books that I picked up. And this idea that you can talk to Hashem was incredible to me, that he actually listens. Like this was new to me. Like I'm 18 years old, 19 actually. And for the first time in my life, I'm hearing that I could talk to Hashem in whatever language I want to, in whatever words, I don't have to use the sitter and he'll actually listen. And I put it to the test. I was like, okay, if I could talk to God and I could ask him for things, I'm doing that. From my personal experience, I saw hand in hand how many times he came through for me. And there's obviously like, if I fast forward in my Chuva story, there were times where I felt like he's nowhere to be found. And like, he played me sort of like, you know, when I started becoming religious, he gave everything I wanted. And then once I was already in, And I was emotionally connected and tied to it. Like, okay, now he can back away and see how serious I am about it. That's all interpretations that someone can make when they're struggling. That's my tshuva in a nutshell, how I came back to practicing Judaism. And honestly, once I left the army is like when I really started experiencing responsibility more than in the army, because in the army, people are telling you what to do. Everything is, it's just there for you. You got to get up. There's no, there's no choice. (laughs) Once you're out of the army, it's, it's up to you.
0: Did you get into relationship coaching because that's something you struggled in your relationship or was it that people came to you for advice and you're like, okay, if people come to me, then.
1: So first of all, of course we had our ups and downs and I'm very open about them.
0: Can you give some examples?
1: When I first got married, I was still struggling with a lot of anxiety and depression. I needed a lot of reassurance from her that she's not going to leave me, right? that she actually, that she that she loves me even though I'm struggling like this. I wasn't able to express that to her. I just kept coming to her and sharing with her, Hey, I'm experiencing this shortage of breath. I'm experiencing this low mood. I'm experiencing like, I'm not just sharing it with her. And Really what I was doing is I was seeking validation. I was hoping to get it back from her. Where what she was experiencing, and rightfully so, is what's going on? Like She's literally in her Shana Rishona and she's experiencing this man who she doesn't really know yet. doesn't matter how much you know each other before, which we didn't know each other a lot before because we married each other through Shidukhim. But once you're married to the person, it's like, it's a whole nother world. And she's like, what did I get myself into? (laughs) <laughs> Not in a bad way because she did love me. She did care about me, but she it was very scary for her. And that's just one example of the struggles that, that we experienced because it can be very scary getting to know the other person and finding the right channel to communicate and to connect and to understand each other. Because I wasn't trying to tell her, That I'm not going to be here for you or that I'm not going to be a good husband. That wasn't what I was trying to do. She was hearing, is he going to be able to show up for me? Is he going to be able to be a man in the home? And it's this lack of communication that it's just her interpretation of what I was saying. And my interpretation of her not responding, giving me the feedback that I wanted, which just led me to want to get it more and to keep seeking that validation, which was basically just adding more wood to the fire. That's just one example of struggles that we've been through. It's important to know that it's normal in <laughs> a relationship, it's gonna happen in a marriage where you're gonna experience the ups and the downs and it's learning how to navigate it and to connect and to come out stronger together. To just to answer your question, relationship coaching. So just to be really transparent with you, I started off just as a coach because I'm really good at coaching. And it's something that I'm passionate about. And then I wanted to, from a marketing standpoint, I wanted to think, okay, how can I niche down into something that I would still really enjoy doing, that is still meaningful to me, but that can support my business more effectively. And that's how I niche down into a relationship.
0: Did you first seek out a coach and then become a coach?
1: Business coach, you mean?
0: any coach? Like you were struggling and you went found a coach and then you're like, oh, I can be a coach. Is that what happened?
1: Okay. So just for the sake of the timeline, I started my coaching two and a half, three years ago, and I'm married for eight and a half years, almost nine. The story that I gave you was like, that was in the beginning of the marriage. And that isn't to say that there weren't ups and downs later on in the timeline. First of all, I seek professional help for my marriage, for myself. At some point I studied coaching. I studied psychotherapy, marriage counseling, parenting, shalom bias, Hassan classes, all those things. Like I went into that and I got my own therapy. That was all before I started coaching. And then actually the studying coaching, that was after I started coaching. But the psychotherapy
0: part and all that was before. Let's go into some of the topics I wanted to talk to you about. What is the male's experience? And I know every person has an individually different experience. But if you have to categorize or generalize men versus women, take nida, take chasen classes, take the mikvah experience, infertility, postpartum, what's the man's role and how do they navigate it?
1: That's a great question, actually. There's the Torah perspective of what the man's role is. And then there's, well, how do you practically navigate yourself through this? Because there's the ideal and then there's where I am. And it's always really important to distinguish between the two. The Torah teaches us that the man is supposed to be a mashpiyah. He's there to be a giver and to make his wife's dreams come true. That's his job. Not because, and I think it's important to say this, not because a woman is helpless. That's not the perspective here. It's a completion of one another where he offers the, the shefa, basically spiritually, physically, emotionally, And she receives it and she makes it into something 10 times more amazing. So just like the classic example for this is, the man gives a woman a seed and she turns it into a baby. So the shefa came from him, but she really made it into something amazing. What's the man's role? To be a leader, to really be there for his wife in every single way. And then practically speaking, a lot of men aren't really there. They're not, (laughs) they're not able to do that right now. They're not connected enough to themselves, to what they want. They're not happy enough. They don't believe in themselves enough. And it's okay, this is a journey. This is a journey that we're all on. I'm on this journey. And it's about connecting to yourself and learning more about who you are and pursuing that. And I'll say that the man's wife, she has a lot of power in supporting her husband to become this incredible leader that he's capable of becoming. That goes back to the communication and to not feeling threatened by it. But in her smart way, with her extra beena that she has to sort of guide him into this amazing role that he can come forward with. So that's like the ideal. But I could tell you just as far as Nita goes. Nita's, I mean, if if the relationship is going really well, like the better their relationship, the more Nita's going to suck. (laughs) Like that's just the way it is. Because there's this person that you really, really, Love and you're living with them, and you can't touch them, you can't sleep in the same bed. You can't be physically intimate. There's even certain things if we're going to go like all the way down to the letter of the law. there's like certain things that you can't talk about. It's a very difficult time. And I would say for men, maybe the physical aspect might be more difficult, not being able to have their physical needs met. But again, if their relationship is really good, I would say it's equally as difficult for the woman, if not more because it's such a meaningful connection for the woman when the relationship is going well. When the relationship isn't going well, then neither could be like a breath of fresh air, honestly.
0: So you touched upon something really interesting. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. On one hand, you present this, you know, the surrendered wife type of experience, which is true and repulsive in many ways to women who feel very empowered and new aged. On the other hand, today's men, many feel that, suffer from the women's perspective that they're too feminine and they're too in touch with their emotions. I heard women complain about that. But when women have these high power jobs or they're earning more, or let's say even a classic cola lifestyle where the woman is actually, even if she's not bringing in that much money, the husband is not bringing in any money, if any. And he's picking up a lot of the household jobs. It feminizes the man and makes him perhaps a bit lesser in her eyes when it comes to those ideals that may be old-fashioned and the man is the leader and masculine and the savior, the breadwinner. So we have those contrasting, almost opposite goals from a religious ideal perspective and the reality that's happening today. What would you have to say to
1: that? First, I just want to touch on the fact that you said surrendering wives. It has to come from her. Which part? The part where if she wants to receive, if she wants him to lead, it can never, like, I really have to be clear about that. Like It can never be one of those things like, I'm the man in the house and therefore you need to follow my lead. It's far from that. That's called dictatorship. That's not a leader. Your job as a man is to become such a leader where she wants to follow you from her choice, not the other way around.
0: But what about those dynamics where she is the leader in many ways? The classic example, we listen to the Marvelous Midos machine. I basically know it by heart. I grew up on that. The husband finally, you know, that's Teshuva. At the end, everyone's doing the tasks they needed to do. So he's like, okay, Devorah, I'm ready now to help out. Where do we keep the garbage in the house? I want to take it out. And that's the epitome of him doing Teshuva. In the way he leads and does a good job is by asking his wife, what are the jobs that need to get done? Think, where's the garbage in the house? Okay, so
1: so what's the question?
0: The question is, even if the man is leading, very often he needs a lot of direction to lead. So he's not leading. So be a little bit more specific. That's what I'm asking. I'm talking about the feminine masculine dynamic that is sort of, imposed or idealized but then practically speaking there are parts of the marriage where the wife leads and there are parts of the marriage where the husband leads and given a kola lifestyle and traditionally speaking when you think of somebody who's supporting the family the wives in those kola families are the ones who are leading in many ways yeah. and then you're telling them now go into this mindset pretend like he is taking care of you and buying you things even though everything you're buying yourself is technically coming from the money you're earning. And right, right, and I do right, believe right. everything is together but I, right. I'm just trying that. to for the sake of the conversation I'm oversimplifying.
1: Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. As human beings, we're very accustomed to measuring our self-worth based on our accomplishments. If I'm the one bringing the money home, I'm the accomplished one. If I'm not bringing the money home, then I'm the failure that comes from western society that's that doesn't come from the torah the torah appreciates effort it doesn't care about results at all the torah cares about effort and if we're going to speak from a torah perspective it's how much effort are you putting in to becoming to playing your role in this home in this family that we're trying to create together whatever it is so if you don't have digits to show me in the bank account, but you're going to colal every single day, because that's the decision that we wanted to make together. This is the lifestyle that we want to live together. I'm not talking about a case where they're just defaulting into going to colel and her going to, to work. Talking about like, this is what we want to do. And we came to this decision together. Then I don't have to come back to you with numbers in order for me to be looked up to, to be appreciated, to be admired. Because that's not what makes me valuable. That's not what makes me a leader. What makes me a leader is that time that I came home and I listened to you talk about your day and I put everything aside. I gave you my undivided attention. That time that you that you needed me to show up for you and I was there. Like It's when you actually care about the other person. But
0: doesn't that go both ways? Why does one need to be the leader and the other one the receiver? If both parties of the marriage need to do these things.
1: Great question. Great question. I'm speaking from a spiritual standpoint.
0: But what about a practical standpoint?
1: This is interesting, actually, because I'm not suggesting that the man has to be. In other words, when it comes to spiritual guidance, when it comes to, to those types of things, yes, the man is the leader. The man is the, is the source for that shefa to come into the home. But practically in other areas of the relationship, I'm not so sure where it would manifest. It can manifest in the bedroom as well. There's, again, there's cabalistic things here and there's spiritual things here, but I don't, I don't think that we're going to be getting into all that unless you want to and it's, just, I'm limited to what I know on the topic, but I guess, you know what I'll ask you, I, I want to understand what's behind your question, because I feel like there's, I'm missing the point here when you're mm-hmm. asking.
0: The question is, everyone listening to this podcast knows or everyone has gone through the from education system. Knows what the ideal woman's role is, the woman, the man's ideal role. What do we do on this podcast? We break down what's actually going on. When are those ideals messing with practical manifestations that turn into marital issues or struggles? Take Western culture and bring that in. Take in the system, really pushed people to do something, and it wasn't really, didn't come from a place of sincere or a place of, you know, this was. Our decision. You know, we were eighteen and nineteen. We, you have to marry someone. Cole wasn't exactly our decision. So we're here to talk about what actually happens. And I know people come to you when they have issues and or they want to improve on their relationships. Maybe your style is to talk about the spiritual things and just give people a new perspective. But I would like to know what are those issues? How do they manifest? And how do you help marriages resolve these combination of ideals? and standards with today's struggles of the 21st century.
1: So I'll I'll share with you, most people don't come to me and they say, Hey, he's not being a leader or I want to be a leader and he wants to be a leader. That's not what they come to me for. They come to me when they're arguing a lot or when she feels like she's doing all the work around the home and he's not doing anything. Or when she feels like her needs in the bedroom aren't being met. Those are the things that people come to me for. And they're like, how do I deal with this? Or my husband is twenty four seven on the phone and he's never giving me attention. What do we do? Those are the things that are going on. The example that you brought when I was smiling, when you talked about the garbage, is because that's a classic, honestly. (laughs) Like, he never takes out the garbage. And then when he does, he makes it a big deal. Like, he wants trumpets and uh, the Medal of Honor for taking out the garbage. And those are the things that they come to me for. And I don't start telling them, okay, well, here's his job and here's your job. No. What do you say? I was waiting for you to ask that. So
0: (laughs) I didn't think I had to.
1: (laughs) It really depends on the situation, but what it boils down to is really finding a way to respect the other person. That is what it comes down to. And to respect the other person, it means the way that you communicate to them, the way that you treat them, the way that you see them. It comes from having compassion towards them, seeing that they have a side to their story. It comes from learning how to love yourself so that you're not triggered in your conversations whenever they say something that could be triggering but you're secure in yourself so it doesn't trigger you the work is learning to communicate but it's not just about what to say how to say it and when to say it learning how to communicate boils down to really feeling connected to yourself and secure because your husband wants your admiration in other words there's a part of him that feels that he's not good enough if he doesn't have that and you want your husband's appreciation. There's a part of you that feels that you're not good enough unless you have that. And you're not going to say, I want you to appreciate me. You will eventually say that to them only when it's really, really painful and it bursts out. But you don't want to say that. You just want to like hope that they will, that they'll notice it. But when you're coming to seek that appreciation and it's coming from this place of desperation because I'm, I'm empty inside, I'm not good enough without it. It's really painful. And then I can sort of demand it from you or because I don't want to talk about it. I could get really upset at you and say, well, you never do this or you never do that. And what I really mean to say is you don't love me or I don't feel loved by you or you don't care about me. I want you to care about me. I want you to show me that you care about me more. I want you to spend more time with me because I want to feel that I matter to you. That's not what people say. People say you're always on your phone. You're always at your work. You're always at your job. You never do the things that you're saying that you're going to do. There's like what you're saying and what you're actually feeling and wishing that your husband heard or that your wife heard. This is where it really comes down to feeling secure with who you are, with what you're feeling, with what you're experiencing and learning to be able to communicate it. A lot of women are afraid to talk about their feelings with their husband. They don't want to be rejected. They don't want to be turned down.
0: I thought it was the opposite. I thought women can't stop talking about their feelings and men don't know how to or are too scared to talk about their feelings.
1: They both exist. Women like to talk about their feelings a lot more than men do. Now, there are men who like to talk about their feelings, right? We're obviously we're overgeneralizing or we generally speaking, women like to express their feelings more than men do. And that is why it is so painful for them when they're afraid to do it. Because if I want to share with you about my day or if I want to, tell you about something that's really important for me in the bedroom, but I don't want you to turn me down or I don't want you to laugh at me or I don't want you to look at your phone while I'm opening up my heart to you. So then I'll keep it in and then I'll build up resentment and bitterness towards you and I'll be frustrated at you. And then you'll come to me later on and you'll be like, why are you upset? And then I'll tell you and then you'll be like, what? And uh, I didn't know or You know, and then like that's how these a classic argument and all of it is because what really needs to be said isn't being said.
0: Any closing remarks or any words of wisdom you'd like to share before we wrap up?
1: I think that the most important thing for the quality of your life and of course for the quality of your relationship is to learn to love yourself on a really deep level. To really get to know who you are and to know that you're good enough regardless of your accomplishments and to just really be secure with the person that you are. Because once you're connected to yourself and you're approaching another human being that you wanna to connect to them with that status where you're really connected to who you are, it's gonna be a different game. And it's not gonna come from neediness, from desperation. It's gonna come from a place of, hey, you're amazing, I'm amazing. Let's do something amazing together. And that's where relationships thrive.
0: Thank you so much, Samuel, for coming on and sharing. Your nuggets with us, as well as your personal experiences and your professional experiences.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for sticking around until the end. As always, thanks for spreading the word and feel free to join the WhatsApp group. You can message me and I'll send you a link to join. If you'd like to support the show, please spread the word about the show. You can also book me for all your podcasting needs. Check out the other podcasts on Jewish Coffee House Network, Orthodox Conundrum, Intimate Judaism, Chochmat Neshim, and Let My People Eat. Check out my latest single, Ahacha Alti, wherever you stream your music. As promised, I would like to share with you some thoughts I have after lengthy discussions over this past weekend. I asked the question, so based on all the research we've done and having all the guests we had like Mark Trencher and everyone else talking about the shidduch crisis, the shidduch system, here are some solutions and I'd like to hear what your opinions are and if you think we can actually implement some of this stuff. The goal here is to get girls more dates, not necessarily get more women married because that is not a guarantee we can make. But if the young women get more dates, hopefully they will get to their pressure sooner. So number one is young men starting to date younger. Number two, the young men dating women closer to their age. So either their age or a year younger or maybe even older. And number three, removing the pressure or even encouraging the young women to start dating later to eliminate the potential of younger women flooding the market and um, saturating it for the older women. And by older, (laughs) I mean the older younger women who are still so young, but they feel old because they may have started dating at 19 or there are 19 and 18 year olds already on the market. So let me know what you think of these and if this is something we can start spreading and bringing awareness to or encouraging and talking. I know I spoke to a mother recently who said, you know, I chose a resume for my son. One of the appealing factors was that she was a little older, which means that we're helping the shidduch crisis, but also she's more established, she's more mature, she's farther in life with her education, etc. Something to think about. Okay, so that's my blurb for today. I hope you enjoy my single. I hope to hear from you on the chat. I hope you return back next week for our next episode of the series and we will go out with a blast. I'm very excited for (laughs) the final episode of this series. Of course, I encourage you to also go and listen to the backlog of this podcast. There are so many very interesting topics and episodes here. So many of you reach out suggesting new topics, not realizing we've covered them before, even though we're happy to revisit many of those topics. So do not get discouraged from requesting to be on the show always love hearing from you see you next week